I am your host, Nathaniel Molnar, and that is it. We have finished Volume 4 from 1972, the fourth studio album from Black Sabbath. We've gone through all the songs and listened to them, talked about them, talked during them, as I do here with these uh, reaction commentaries. Uh, And so that's it. We've finished the album. And as we usually do once we finish one of the albums... I usually do two videos, one to kind of wrap up my thoughts on the album, just kind of consolidate everything I've been saying over the course of the listening to the album, and then another one to kind of go through the comments section and take a look at what you guys have been saying about the album uh, for each video. Well, I've decided just to save a little bit of time and be a little bit more efficient, I'm going to combine the two from here on out. So this is the album review slash your thoughts on volume four. So, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to be wrapping up my thoughts on the album as we go through the comments. So let's start with that. Let's take a look at what you guys had to say about volume four. All right. And our first comment comes from our wheels of confusion video, uh, from our good friend, JD Pyrotechnics, who writes, ah, yes, volume four, my favorite album, mine as well. I love this song, but sometimes the main riff feels a little too basic and like it's played too many times, but the switch up after the second verse and then the outro make up for it. There's so much happening at the end and so much to hear. The bass line, the rhythm guitar, two different guitar souls, an excellent song to open an excellent album. To me, Tony's sound, besides being the riff master, is in these types of guitar souls that utilize stereo technology. Two solos playing at the same time, one panned left and the other panned right. It's so interesting that the solos will start the same and then go off and go and do different things and then converge again to play the same thing and then diverge once more. Very unique to Tony. I haven't heard it much anywhere else. You are exactly right, JD. Uh, There's so much going on in Wheels of Confusion. I do understand when you say that maybe the main riff is played a couple too many times. I do get what you're saying because I feel like they do kind of go back to that maybe one too many times. But it's a very, very, very small critique. Uh, And it doesn't hurt that that riff is so great. Um, And then, of course, once you get into the straightener aspect of the song, uh, after you finish all the lyrics, you just get this absolute chaotic mess, but brilliant, beautiful, and orderly at the same time. Ordered chaos. I don't know how they quite do it, but they manage to do it, where you get all these sounds just sort of converging. And I think the, the way that you described it, with the two solos starting at the one spot, kind of diverging in and reconverging and diverging again, that's a very great way to put it. Uh, and that's exactly what's going on. And it just makes for this, like, just beautiful sound. Uh, and it's such a great opener to the album. You really, you start the album with this absolute high. You have this sort of slow beginning part, and then you get to this absolute just chaotic, everything's happening at once, but it just is beautiful. Uh, And then you kind of go on to the rest of the album from there. Some very good points there, JD, um, and I completely agree with you. All right, and our next one comes from Aldo Rojas, who says, I believe it's called The Straightener for the reason... The wheels stop turning as you hit better strides. Always felt Sabbath is talking about general advice from misfits. 
So in the video uh, for Wheels of Confusion, I was saying that on Spotify, and I couldn't remember if, and I believe it is, on the vinyl it does specify, it's Wheels of Confusion slash The Straightener. And I threw it out to you guys because I wasn't sure exactly why it's called The Straightener. What is The Straightener? I could pinpoint where I think if we were going to uh, kind of differentiate the two parts of the song as Wheels of Confusion and The Straightener, I could pinpoint probably where that change happens, but I wasn't sure exactly why it was called there. What was the need for differentiating the two parts? Uh, I think that's an interesting theory, the whole uh, straightening the wheels. It's continuing that sort of motif, the wheel motif. Um, I, I think that's a very valid theory. Um, I, I Maybe it's as detailed as that. Maybe they were just coming up with names because they were really high on cocaine and they didn't have many other ideas. Who knows? I don't know if there's actually too much of a uh, of a definitive answer uh, or if, if it's actually that deep. But I like that theory. I think that works well and I, I think it's definitely applicable. All right, our next comment, still on the Wheels of Confusion video, comes from Mojo Bag 01, who writes Tony's first attempt at production, and not for the first time, he redefines rock music. It is worth noting they had all the coke, all of it. <laughs> yes, yes, they had, they had all of the cocaine. Not some cocaine, not a little bit of cocaine, not even a lot of cocaine. All the cocaine, the entirety of the cocaine from the '70s was Black Sabbaths. Um, yes, you're exactly right. Um, and that is a noticeable uh, difference with this album than their previous three, is that Tony is really stepping it up. Not only that uh, Volume 4 and Master of Reality are the first two albums where they're really defining and developing the album in the studio, but Tony is actually helping produce this album and really come up with the sound. And for me, I think that's one of the key reasons why this is my favorite album of that Black Sabbath has done. Uh, I think his, him, the, the amount of time that they've had to really develop their taste and develop their understanding of what they are as a band and all of their individual strengths and maybe some of their weaknesses and how relying on each other to kind of mask their own weaknesses uh, and just being able to kind of figure all that out, I think has really helped them um, get to this point so much so that when Tony steps up to really help produce this album, he has such a firm understanding of what needs to be done and how to create such a beautiful album. Uh, and you could talk about how say for like Wheels of Confusion and The Straightener, you have like the dual solos and that's, they're playing around and doing things that you may not have really been able to do uh, playing this live. And I'm sure they've played it live, obviously, and they played variations of it, but not quite to the same extent that you have it in this song uh, on Spotify, on the vinyl, on record. Um, because it is actually being produced as, more so than just recording their live set, like what they did for Black Sabbath and Paranoid. Um, so there is an element of that, that, you know, once you start producing more, you're getting away from what's actually just being able to be made live, and you're actually kind of tweaking things. And But I, I think something, and I don't know who specifically is bringing this, I would like to imagine that's Tony, um, all the changes that they make with the producing, like all the little added elements as they go, it, it's all still, it's not 
outside of the realm of possibility you know it, it's not like uh it, it's all within the framework of what they have already and so it retains its strength even though they are kind of playing with what they would be able to do live so good point there all right the next one is from shaspers one who writes volume four is my favorite metal album of all time uh, of all time ever uh, well, yeah, I'd have to agree. Uh, Black Sabbath is my favorite band of all time. Volume 4 is my favorite Black Sabbath album. Logic dictates that Volume 4 wouldn't just be my favorite metal album ever, but my favorite album ever. Um, I, I think that's just how the logic works. But uh, yeah, excellent point. All right, the next comment comes from Ralph uh, Bacchino. And if I mispronounce any of these names, I apologize. I'm not great with pronunciation. And this is still on the Wheels of Confusion video, by the way. Ralph writes, I feel exactly the same as you do relative to Sabbath albums. Great review. Well, thank you so much, Ralph. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I completely agree. I think Volume 4 is my favorite Sabbath album. There's a lot of great Sabbath albums. Um, they're all great to some extent or another. Technical Ecstasy is the one album where I wouldn't say it's great. There are great parts to it, but it's definitely the weakest of all of them. But I'd say other than Technical Ecstasy, I would say that all of their albums are great in varying degrees. But Volume 4 is the greatest of the great. <laughs> Alright, and our last comment for the Wheels of Confusion video comes from Josh Reynolds who wrote, Subbed. Love everything about your channel. I'm not even done with the video. Well, thank you so much, Josh. Uh... Yeah, I I'm, I'm I think when I put out the Wheels of Confusion video, it kind of became, I got like a flurry of views and comments and it seemed like a lot of people were hopping on who had not seen the channel before and they were kind of joining in with the Wheels of Confusion video, which is great. I'm, I'm glad that people are checking out the channel, they're digging the channel, um, you know, I kind of, I, I created this channel uh, back in March of 2020, um, A, because there was a pandemic and I didn't have anything to do, <laughs> but B, uh, and not that there's still not a pandemic, there absolutely is, uh, but B, because I couldn't really find anything quite like this. I mean, I found so many videos, which I loved watching, of people who do first reaction videos for different, uh, for music, that we're doing them for Black Sabbath. And so, yeah, it's great to see this YouTuber listen to War Pigs and this YouTuber listen to, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, Black Sabbath, you know. But there wasn't really anything that was just solely Black Sabbath, just all dedicated to Black Sabbath and breaking it down and analyzing it the way that at least I hope I'm doing with this channel. So uh, that's kind of basically why I started it. I just wanted to provide something that I'd been looking for and couldn't quite find anywhere else. And I figured if no one else is doing it, hey, I'm going to do it myself. So uh, thank you so much. All right, now we continue on to our Tomorrow's Dream video. And our first comment and only comment on the video comes from JD Pyrotechnics who writes, I also couldn't tell the difference between Tomorrow's Dream and Cornucopia when I was new to Sabbath. I'd hit shuffle on my playlist and when one of them came on, I couldn't quite pick out which one was which until I had heard them enough to know the lyrics to both. A good song by my standards, but definitely not a centerpiece of the album like Snowblind, Under the Sun, or Wheels of Confusion. I'm definitely right there with you, JD. 
Um, I, I mentioned in the video that there are certain points, and definitely it was more so when I was first listening to Sabbath. Not as much now, but still every once in a while, where the sort of the, the musical tones of Tomorrow's Dream and Cornucopia sound similar. So there may be like, there will be a part of Tomorrow's Dream where I'm listening and then I'm kind of in my head, I expect it to kind of go into a part of Cornucopia. And of course, it's not that. Um, so the two do sound a little similar. Um, and I'd imagine for people who are just jumping into Sabbath, that's something that would confuse them a lot. Um... But, you know, just as you grow to to know more Sabbath, as you put it, understanding the lyrics more, uh, you kind of get away from that. Uh, but yeah, I agree. Tomorrow's Dream, very much in the same vein as like an After Forever or Lord of This World or even Cornucopia on this album, where it's just kind of helping you get from one part of this, the album to the next. It's not a centerpiece, as you put it. It's not Snowblind. It's not Supernaut. It's not Wheels of Confusion. But it's just a good kind of transitionary song. Sounds good. Uh, rather short, rather limited uh, riffs to it. Just kind of get you from one part of the album to the next. So good point there. All right. Our next one is from our changes video. And this comment comes once again from JD Pyrotechnics who writes, The calm before the storm that is Supernaut, LOL. I personally don't have much to say on the song. I don't listen to it ever unless I'm doing a volume four listen through. The first time I heard changes, it sounded familiar when the chorus came in. I did some research and found out Eminem sampled the chorus and used it in his song going through changes. So I had indeed heard the chorus before, but never the whole song. Also, I believe Tony did the piano on the song, and the instrument you are referencing, I believe, is called a Mellotron. Yeah, so, um, I think I listen to Changes a little bit more. I do just have it in my regular, uh, Black Sabbath playlist, so if it comes on, I'll listen to it. It is a really good song, and it's a song that grows on me, because I remember, like, the first couple times I heard Changes, I was like, yeah, you know, it's good, but, like, just get back to the heaviness of Sabbath. That's what I'm looking forward to. Like, you know, I'm kind of always looking past changes to Supernaut. But the more you listen to changes, um, it it's a beautiful song. And it really grows on you. And I know it's a song for me. And I may have touched on this a little bit in uh, my review of the, the song when I did the whole video for it. Uh, it's a song that I think... It has a lot of me different meanings to it and can be used for many different things. And there are specific things in my life that I've been able to attribute this song to. And I think about when I hear the song. So it, it's it's a, it's a really nice song. It's a really beautiful song. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I'd mentioned that I thought that um, Bill was doing the piano. I think, and I could be wrong, but I believe Bill Ward came up with the piano riff, if it's still called a riff on a piano. And Tony actually played it when they when they played it. And then you got the Mellotron, uh, the instrument that kind of adds that extra sound to it. So, uh, good observation there, JD. Alright, our next one is from our FX video. Uh, and Terrence Kent writes, Remove the word like from this reaction and it would only be two minutes long. Like, yeah, you're like kind of right on that. Like, I think you're kind of right about that. Cool. Alright, our next one is... And I'm not going to pronounce this because it's another language and I would not pronounce it in the right. NP writes, do we know the story why they did these short songs like Orchid, Don't Start, Embryo, 
I mean, they could create songs with these melodies, and maybe they were so drunk that they didn't bother. Even Rat Salad, I have the feeling it was a song, but they made it just a jam drums thing. Yeah, I don't know... I don't think there's, like, one answer for all of them, you know? I think it's kind of a combination of different things. I think it's... Part of it is... They needed to fill some space on the album, so they kind of come up with something. Sort of like the origin story of Paranoid, but of course that has lyrics to it. Um, I think part of it is just coming out of jam sessions, whether it's in the studio, they're just jamming. They're like, hey, that's really cool, let's put that on the album. Or something like Rat Salad, I think it came about through jamming while on stage. And they're like, hey, that's really cool, let's incorporate that. And maybe some of them, and I don't know this for sure, I'm just speculating, maybe some of them had lyrics to them and then they just kind of decided not to go with them. Although something like Embryo or Orchid doesn't really sound like it has any place where it would have lyrics or even Laguna Sunrise, I don't think really, it, lyrics don't really fit what that kind of song is and the tone of that. Um, so I don't really know. I, I don't think there's like a one answer fits all. But I think you're exactly right in some of those, I think, definitely apply. Some of it was just jam sessions. Some of it was just let's fill space. So I think there's a bunch of different answers there. But uh, good comment there. All right, and our next one is from the Supernaut video. And this comes once again from JD Pyrotechnics, who writes, Love the lyrics on this track, particularly the last verse. Also, is the solo in the middle of the song the fastest solo Tony has played on an album? I've heard him play even faster on some live recordings, but if I recall correctly, this is his fastest solo on the record. If it is, it's very fitting considering the underlying theme of the song is being high on cocaine. Yeah, I don't know for sure whether it is or not. It would not surprise me. Uh, Tony is known for playing some very fast riffs and some very fast solos, uh, and I agree. And I think the final verse, the got no religion, don't need no friends, got all I want, I don't need to pretend, so don't try to reach me because I'll tear up your mind. I've seen the future and I left it behind. The last sort of verse of the song is also my favorite of the song. It's just, it's great. And it's just such a kick-ass song. And it really is sort of, uh, and I think we kind of talked about this, me and Johnny, when we were talking about Supernaut and Snowblind. Johnny Gifford, who of course uh, helped me out with those videos to kind of talk about them. Uh, we talked about how you have Supernaut is more like the, the, the high of cocaine, whereas uh, Snowblind is more kind of the mellowing coming down off of it. Um, and so I, I like that kind of contrast there. But yeah, a excellent points there, JD. All right, and our next one is from the Snowblind video. This is once again from JD Pyrotechnics, who writes a long one. So let's get into it. This is great. Uh, JD writes, my second favorite Sabbath song, and if I remember correctly, it's Fairies Wear Boots is the first one. Uh, one can really appreciate how honest they were in their songwriting. The lyrics aren't necessarily promoting the use of cocaine, as it's also acknowledging the downsides to it, as the band's blatant addiction to the substance. For example, feeling happy in my pain means even though life may not be going well, this substance takes it all away. The sun no longer sets me free could mean things that would normally bring someone joy, such as being out in nature, simply aren't enough compared to the highs of cocaine. Don't you think I know what I'm doing? Don't tell me that it's doing me wrong. You're the one who's really the loser. This is where I feel I belong. This is just classic addict behavior. Not being able to see reality for what it is, 
Snowblind and believing substance use is helping them. Turn my days to frozen hours. They acknowledge that they're living life in the fast lane and they're okay with speeding through life even if it means dying at a young age. Lying snowblind in the sun, will my ice age ever come, acknowledging the addiction and wondering when it'll result in their death. Very poetic and ominous lyrics, I applaud Geezer for the time he spent creating them. Ozzy's vocal tone on the track also makes it feel even more ominous. Tony's killer as usual and the solo at the end just blows me away every time. The only problem I have with the track is the cymbals and hi-hat feel very jumbled together and way too crashy. I don't know if that was intentional or for a result of the remastering, but it's a little unpleasant to my ears. Obviously, though, I'm nitpicking at this point, being that it is my second favorite track. Lots of great observations there, JD, as always. A uh, lot to unpack. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people do talk about Snowblind as being like a cautionary tale for cocaine, that they're kind of talking about um, like the dangers of it and the pitfalls or whatnot. I don't necessarily see it so much as that. And I think you point out very specific lyrics that point to that. But I also think just in larger sense, considering where they were at this point in their lives and in their career, it's not like this was all the years later after they'd been doing cocaine for so long. And now they're kind of reflecting on the downsides or the pitfalls. Rather, it's more that they're in the middle of it when they were recording the song and they wanted to even name the the album snowblind so for me it kind of reads more as like a love letter it's poetic it, it's kind of like it's about their love for cocaine but they definitely do sprinkle in a little bit of this imagery and the, these lines that kind of allude to some of the darker elements of it and I think, I, I don't know if they're in a position when they're making this in 1972 to be able to fully, like, comprehend the sort of addict behavior and the being in denial and the realism and the uh, and all that. Because, like I said, they're right in the middle of it. Um, so that may be a little bit more attributing it after the fact it doesn't make it any less relevant or any less true because these this is all just uh our own uh interpretations and opinions on a song you know uh there's no right answer even if geezer were to come out and say definitively no this is absolutely about the dangers of cocaine or if geezer were to come out and say no it's absolutely about how much we just love cocaine um even regardless of what the initial initial intent is, once the art is out there, and this is true of any art, of books, of movies, of music, of anything, once the art is out there, there is no right or wrong interpretation. There's only individual interpretations. So as much as I'm kind of saying, eh, maybe not this, maybe not that, I'm not right, you're not right, you're not wrong, I'm not wrong, nobody's right or wrong. I think if someone were to say, oh, well, this song is clearly not about cocaine, then they would be wrong because they say the word cocaine. Um, but interpretations are never right or wrong. It's an interpretation, it's an opinion, it's a subjective view of a piece of art. And so at least that's kind of the way that I look at it. Um... And I think you make some great points about sort of like the more ominous parts of the song. And I think it's just a little bit more about like the, like the, the love letter, the poet, the poetry of it. 
Um, but they definitely are alluding to some darker elements. Uh, but who knows, you know. It, it, it's a great song nonetheless, and I think you made some very great points in there. So thank you for that comment, JD. All right, our next one is from our Laguna Sunrise video. And the first one comes from Glenn Kirchens, who writes, Laguna Sunrise will be played at my funeral. That would be a great song to be played at a funeral. Um, it, it, it's beautiful. It's melodic. It's just got nice. Uh, you could, I can very much imagine the casket going down into the ground. Uh, if that is the type of funeral one wants to have. And everyone's just sitting around as you just hear that song play. Um, I, I agree. It would be a great funeral song. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's a beautiful song. So good point there, Glenn. Uh, and then Jonas Hallberg writes, are you going to buy the super deluxe version? I'm glad that somebody brought this up because I've been wanting to talk about this. So some of you may know, or probably a lot of you do, uh, there is a super deluxe version of volume four, I believe coming out in February. They did one last year for paranoid. Um, and these super deluxe versions, they're about, I think they're around a hundred bucks or so, maybe a little bit more like 110. Um, and it contains a remastered version of the original album. It has a bunch of also bonus content. So there's like, they have, um, well, I, at the, when I say the price, I'm referring to the vinyl as opposed to the CD. The CD is cheaper, um, but I, I wouldn't get the, the CD. I would get the vinyl if I was going to get it. So it would be about like one, 110, 100, 110 bucks for, uh, for the vinyl version. Um, you get the original remastered album. You get a bunch of bonus content. I think for the volume four one specifically, there's all this sort of studio outtakes and like, like alternative versions of stuff. And then they have a, uh, a compiled together, uh, live album, which I guess I didn't realize this, but I guess they were looking at doing in like 1973, 74 ish. They wanted or were in the process of putting together a live album for Black Sabbath, but then they ultimately scrapped it. I don't know why they scrapped it, but they ultimately decided not to. So this kind of takes the place of that. And there's also like uh, a book with all this art and there's pamphlets and there's all this posters and all this cool stuff in there. I going back and forth because when the Paranoid Super Deluxe one came out, I said to myself, I'm not going to get this one because as much as I love Paranoid, it's not, it, it's not top, top Sabbath for me. So it, it's like maybe number four or so. So I kind of said to myself, all right, I don't need this one, but if they were going to do like volume four, then I would absolutely get that. And then of course they announced volume four and I'm looking at it and I don't know, like for $110 for the vinyl like, I don't know, I, I'd want to, that's a lot of money for what would essentially be some studio outtakes, some posters, and a live album. And I don't know, like, I don't know if I really need to spend, I, I think there are other things I'd rather spend that money on than that. And maybe at some point I'll change my mind, and who knows, maybe in a little bit down the line those prices go down and it's more like 70 bucks, and I'm like, alright, 70 bucks, I'll do it, and and I'm not saying that I will never get a super deluxe version. It's more like, what's the included content? Cause I already own all the album. I have all the records. I have all the vinyl. I, so it's not so much about getting the vinyl for me. Um, 
it's what's the added stuff what's the bonus stuff uh what's the extra things in there uh and is that worth spending a hundred plus dollars to 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 get uh all that bonus content and for me when i was looking at the volume four super deluxe i was like eh, it's not really worth a hundred plus dollars for me now maybe they do one for like sabotage and there's a lot of other things in there and i'm like you know what that one's worth it or who knows but even if i don't get it i just i love that they're doing new vinyl content for black sabbath i love that they're trying to do new things remaster things put out new thing put out like the studio recordings put out the live shows do all that i love that they keep doing that um because i don't know it just shows that they're they're still invested and they're still trying to put out stuff and maybe even if it's not this one maybe there's something else that comes along like i i don't know if they have the if they're going to do it or if they would do it if they put out the cal jam live show on vinyl i don't care if that thing is 500 dollars. i'm buying that all right maybe not 500 dollars, <laughs> but um if they put out the cal jam uh show on vinyl 100 percent, i'm getting that 100% and see something like that and I know that they have they have the live show in the super deluxe for volume 4 but that one's compiled like they take recordings from different live shows and put them together I wish that they would put like if they put out actually they did put out the Paris video or the, not the video the Paris show is on the paranoid super deluxe I believe which that was a big reason I was like look at that that kind of had me thinking maybe I should get the Paranoid Super Deluxe because it had the Paris uh, live show on there. Um, but I would be more interested in getting some of these live shows uh, on vinyl as opposed to just a Super Deluxe. Like, if they put out the Paris uh, show as its own vinyl for, like, I don't know, like, they could charge, like, I don't know, 40 bucks for that or something. I'd get that. If they put out the Cal Jam one, I'd get that in a heartbeat. So that's sort of, and my hope is that if the super deluxe versions are coming out and they, they do well and they are succeeding, that they'll kind of think of, they'll, they'll try to do some more of that kind of stuff as well, um, which I would, which is great. So, um, I may not get this super deluxe version, but I love that they're doing it because it leaves open the possibility that more things could come out in the future, such as maybe fingers crossed the Cal Jam show on vinyl, that 100%, I, I would, I would take all the money that I'm putting towards student loans and put it towards that. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for the comment. All right. And our next one comes from our under the sun video and Stephen Clark writes one of my favorite Sabbath tunes, particularly the diabolical gritty opening riff. I agree. The opening riff is fantastic for under the sun. There's a lot of great, uh, guitar work throughout the whole um, song, through the whole album, but through that whole song. But yeah, the opening riff is probably the best part for me. So uh, great point there. All right. And our next comment comes from, as some of you may know, um, at, after I put out all the videos for each songs for an album, I take the audio and put them all together and make an audio podcast of the whole uh, reaction commentaries for that album. So I put out uh, one for volume four after shortly after I'd done Under the Sun. So we have a couple comments from that video. And our first one is from Shaspers1, who writes, The straightener is the name for the change 
part at the end of the song with the great emotional guitar part. Uh, so I'm assuming you're referring to Wheels of Confusion and The Straightener. We kind of touched upon that a little bit earlier in this video. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I, I think yeah, that is the sort of distinguishing part for that song, where it's Wheels of Confusion, where it's Straightener. I was more wondering, like, the why. Like, why, why even differentiate them why call it wheels of confusion and why call it the straightener but somebody had a great theory for that and that could be correct that could not be correct and you know what i kind of already talked about how it's all subjective opinion um i'm more curious uh so ultimately it's all like subjective opinion and just interpretation uh on our part but i would be curious to know someday from like geezer or someone else from black sabbath like what what was the actual reason and intention for when they named it that at that time why were they calling it that um and maybe someday we'll get that answer all right and our last comment of the day and i'm gonna mispronounce this name i'm so sorry it's amarjit sung dule uh who writes hi nathaniel i've come across your youtube channel today 11721 january 17th 2021 and i must admit that what you're doing is most probably what I would have loved to do myself, but haven't the technical skills to go about doing it. Being much older than yourself, I have been a long-time fan of Sabbath as well. I first came across them as a 16-year-old back in 1978, even though I was aware of Paranoid since its second release, I believe. Similar to yourself, I have been obsessed with them over the years and have digested all that is Sabbath unto their early Dio period up to Live Evil, but the Aussie period was always my domain. Back in 2015-2016, I decided to write a book, an autobiography based around my musical tastes. I have completed my first book based around my love of Sabbath, analyzing every single track from their first to Never Say Die, and then the Dio era up to Live Evil parallel to Ozzy's career up to Bark, Bark at the Moon. So in retrospect, I have done what you're doing, but in a very different format. So thank you so much for sending in that uh, comment. Uh, first off, if your book is published and available to read anywhere, uh, certainly uh, email me, uh, observingthesabbath at gmail.com, or post a link in one of the comments, because uh, I would love to check out that book if it's available to read anywhere and if it's been published. Um, I would definitely be interested in checking that out. But... Yeah, uh, so thank you for sharing. I kind of dubbed this as Sabbath Story, my Sabbath Story, your Sabbath Story. The very first video I did on the channel was kind of talking about my Sabbath Story and my musical taste leading up to Finding Sabbath and how I found Sabbath and all that good stuff. Uh, and since then, I've been very happy to see people writing in the comments, uh, going back to that video or as well as uh, new videos, writing in their Sabbath Story. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing yours. Um, and yeah, I mean, and really this isn't super high tech to be completely honest. I have a, I have a Canon camera. I have a blue snowball microphone. I have a light, um, and my laptop, and that's really all I've got going for me. Um, and I, that may be outside of people's price range or, uh, it wasn't super expensive, to be completely honest, um, for what I get out of it. Um, it. That may be out of people's price range, maybe out of people's sort of technical understanding, but um, it's not it's not super high-tech like some other people do high-tech. 
um, for their videos. It's very sort of low-tech gear. But all that to say, uh, I'm glad you wrote your book. uh, And if it is available uh, to read somewhere, I would love to check it out. So do send me that, uh, that link if it's available somewhere. All right, and those are all of your thoughts on Volume 4. Thank you so much for sending them in. And as we go through uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, do continue to write in all of your thoughts on all the songs. And that about wraps up Volume 4. Great album. My favorite album. Uh, Lots of great songs. Lots of great stuff. What a jam-packed album. There's so much going on on this album. Uh, And it seems like... A lot of see, I always kind of interpreted that um, the most popular and most people's favorite Sabbath albums were Master of Reality and Paranoid. But I've been seeing a lot of people writing in that Volume Four is also their favorite. For me, Volume Four is peak Sabbath. Like that is just that is the absolute peak of their abilities and musical tastes. So uh, yeah, I am excited to dive into Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. Um, Lots of great songs on there. Some of my absolute favorites are on there. That's going to do it for all of my thoughts and all of your thoughts on Volume 4. Make sure to like, make sure to comment, make sure to subscribe for more content, and come back as we dive into Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. So until then, until we discuss Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, thank you for watching.